What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 109 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't answer the question first. I'm not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, break down this week's news, and then conclude with a review of Vegan 2017, the new documentary produced by plant-based news founder Klaus Mitchell. I'm excited to, to talk about this one, Paul. Yeah, we, we teased it a, a, a few weeks ago when we first found out about it, and now here we are. Look at us now. <laughs> at the end of 2017. Yes, I woke up and I was like, oh, that thing is finally available. I guess we can talk about it. <laughs> so, Andy, we got a few announcements, though. What, what do we got going on? Yeah, if you're listening to this in a timely fashion, this weekend we've been talking about it for so long, but we're going to be doing our next live podcast recording. That's happening at the Compassion Fest Holiday Market in Hamden, Connecticut. The event goes all weekend long, December 8th, 9th, and 10th, but it is at December 9th, the Saturday at 5 p.m. that we'll be doing our thing. It's free for all to attend, so hope to see some beardos in the audience. It's going to be our, our, our big hurrah for the end of the year. Hurrah! And so the other thing that I wanted to do, Paul, we've never really done advertising on this show before, and this isn't really us starting, but I wanted to do a little bit of an experiment. I run a clothing line called Compassion Company. If you ever make it to the end of our episodes, I always talk about the Veg Fest that I'm going to be at. And I thought it might be interesting to just offer all the beardos out there a little promo code for that. So if you are trying to do a little shopping for yourself or for others, you can use code BEARDO. That's B-E-A-R-D-O, and that'll get you 15% off an order at CompassionCo.com. It's CompassionCo.com. Just curious to see if, if anyone will use this code. If you use it, you might might find a little Bearded Vegans uh, button or sticker in your order if you do. Ooh. But uh, don't do it just for that, of course. But <laughs> definitely just curious to see how many Beardos would take advantage of that. So that's promo code Beardo at CompassionCo.com. I think you should do it just for that. <laughs> sure so it's one expensive button or sticker or both <laughs> or both so andy what have you been eating well i made a trip down to blossom in new york city pretty recently i've been there once before wasn't wild about the experience but i think i just didn't get the right thing and this time i think i got the right thing so i got this forbidden tofu on the menu and it's this tofu which is grilled and glazed and it comes over some forbidden rice which is black rice and trumpet mushrooms and this fennel and leek compote and sauteed broccolini and this dill cream on top and i have to say it was very tasty paul i think you would love it because this tofu is just so perfectly grilled it's got the grilled marks on it it has that grill flavor just saturated throughout all of the tofu and I, I know you're a fan of that, so I, I think oh, yeah. that you should, you should definitely check this out if you can. It's it's Blossom in New York City. And that's all I have to say. I just wanted to plug that dish. You can see a picture of that on our Instagram over at The Bearded Vegans, along with a bunch of other food food pics. So, yeah, hey, Paul. Andy, I also had something in New York this past week. What did you have, Paul? 
I went to the Chickpea and Olive, which I believe we've talked about on this podcast before getting at VegFest events. But Well, I, I wouldn't say we so much just talked about it as raved about how amazing their fried tofu sandwiches are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I had the opportunity to go to their location, which is inside of a Whole Foods in Brooklyn, and it took me... A very, it took me a, a comically long time to find the place because the way that this Whole Foods works is you the level that you go in on, there's some restaurants. I, I, they're not, no, they're not restaurants. They're just kind of booths with different food. Like there's a sushi booth and then there's a cafe booth and then there's like a burger booth or whatever. And then you actually go down an escalator. So you're kind of underground or on the a lower level where that's where the actual grocery shopping is done. So I looked by all the booths, couldn't find chickpea and olive, went downstairs, went through all the aisles and, and was trying to find. I was like, maybe they just have like a little stand or something like that. I couldn't find it anywhere. I went back upstairs and I had just walked by it. It was one of those food booths, <laughs> which makes sense that that's where it was. Uh, in my defense, the logo is kind of at the bottom of the booth, which is at, you know, shin level. So when I was looking up at the menu, and, and as far as I could tell, there wasn't anything that said it on the menu, like chickpea and olive, but it was at, I was not looking down at people's shins, so I did not see the logo. But I <laughs> did have... Yes, Andy? <laughs> I can't wait until they turn this story into a full-length movie, because that was riveting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I finally, I, I, I finally found the place, and I got this very delicious... It was called the New England Platter. It was vegan buttermilk fried oyster mushrooms with fries served with horseradish aioli. Mm. And they were nice and crispy. And it was oh so good. It was very, very good. I I didn't want to go with the fried tofu sandwich, which, you know, we've gotten before. I want to try something new. Uh, there was a cheesesteak that I was like, you know what? I I, I eat cheesesteaks all the time, so I'm not going to go with that. And then they had a, a pulled jackfruit, and jackfruit's just usually doesn't do it for me. So I went with this this oyster mushroom, fried oyster mushroom dish, and it was it did not disappoint. They also have a oyster mushroom po' boy, which mm-hmm. I think I will probably get that next time because what I got combined with you know bread is uh, bound to be delicious. So chickpea and olive. <laughs> Bread makes everything better. <laughs> so chickpea and olive in the Whole Foods in Brooklyn. Check it out. It was very good. Yeah, I, they they really know how to fry things at chickpea and olive. They keep that crispiness throughout. It doesn't get lost right away. So I'm excited. I got to go. I got to go check that out. Do it. So the first thing we got is a little bit of follow up. This is from our discussion. I believe this was last week. Yeah. About the whole Brexit situation and how they failed to reinstate that law from the EU or that amendment from the EU that would claim that animals are sentient. So what do we got with this, Andy? Yes, this is coming to us from plant-based news. Not the last we will hear about them in this episode, (laughs) but it says uh, government promises animals quote, will be recognized as sentient after Brexit. So I'm going to read a little bit from that. Now, Environment Secretary Michael Gove has said the sentience of animals will continue to be recognized and protections strengthened when we leave the EU. He added, this government is committed to the very highest standards of animal welfare. As the prime minister has set out, we will make the United Kingdom a world leader in the care and protection of animals. It has been suggested that the vote last week on new clause 30 of the EU withdrawal bill has somehow signaled... 
a weakening in the protection of animals that is wrong. Voting against the amendment was not a vote against the idea that animals are sentient and feel pain. That is a misconception. Gove claims that ministers explained during the debate that the government's policies on animal welfare are driven by our recognition that animals are indeed sentient beings and we are acting energetically to reduce the risk of harm to animals, whether on farms or in the wild. He said the vote against new clause 30 was the rejection of a faulty amendment, which would not have achieved its aims stated of providing appropriate protection for animals. The prime minister has made clear that we will strengthen our animal welfare rules. This government will ensure that any necessary changes required to UK law are made in a rigorous and comprehensive way to ensure animal sentience is recognized after we leave the EU. The withdrawal bill is not the right place to address this. However, we are considering the right legislative vehicle. So, They're coming out pretty strong. As we mentioned last episode, after they voted not to transfer this amendment from the EU law to the UK law, there was huge public outcry. And immediately all the people involved took to social media to sort of protect their reputations because no one likes to be seen as harming animals or at least the cute fuzzy ones that we take into our homes. And so... Mm -hmm. So that, you know, so Michael Gove then goes on to talk about all the things that the UK is doing or or like amping up to do, such as making CCTV mandatory. I believe we talked about that at some episode long ago. Uh, Animal abusers starting to get up to five years in prison, a ban on the ivory trade and a ban on microbeads, which affect animals. For people that aren't familiar with that, microbeads are the things that are in like a lot of face washes and facial scrubs. And, of course, they don't disintegrate. They just go into the water supply, which makes into the oceans and is horrible for fish. And then he kind of talks about how the EU laws actually restricted their ability to do certain things like banning live export, uh, cracking down on something known as puppy smuggling, and banning the import of puppies under the ages of six. And said the EU laws actually were a hindrance to doing those things and that UK laws would actually be able to prevent those things. So... So it's interesting that they're coming out with such a big defense. And I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, if they're saying this isn't... Paul, don't you think, like, they should still do the very least in the meantime? Like, why leave this open, lawless, Wild West period where, like, anything can happen? Why not transfer this over and then work to strengthen the existing laws? Yeah, I I guess I wish that he had... And maybe he did this purposely. I, I would not be surprised if he did this purposely it's kind of vague how he just says it would not have achieved its stated aims like the the they the reason that we rejected it was because we it would not have achieved its stated aims which I, i feel like it's kind of covering for himself saying like oh no it's not that i'm against this i just rejected this because it did it wouldn't actually do what it says it's gonna do do you know what i mean yeah yeah definitely it's it seems like they're really kind of talking their way around it and saying like, no, it wasn't good enough. We want to make it even better. And it just, it seems like they're, they're hiding something here. Politicians real good at talking their way around things. (laughs) Absolutely. So I guess for me, this story kind of just highlights, I know we touched on this a little bit in their discussion before, but obviously, you know, we can we're never going to be able to rely on the government to get to where we r- truly want to be, which is like a state of animal liberation, which is where you know, animals are free or or not being bred into existence for our own aims. And I I mean I did notice that 
in all of this talk, there was very little mention of animals that are raised for food, which is, you know, like all the things being listed are, I, I don't want to call them fringe issues because that kind of minimizes the very real harm that they do to animals, but they're certainly by the numbers, not the biggest concern for like the animal, the global animal community, I guess I would say. And so it's almost like this cosmetic gesture of helping animals without really doing all that much to help them. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, it's like, yes, of course we don't want live export. Of course we want a ban on the ivory trade. But what about the animals that are are being raised and killed for food, like, every day? I guess they they talk about the CCTV stuff, and we've discussed whether we think that's effective or not. I guess overall, it just... To me, it reinforces the need to have comprehensive, effective vegan education because a population that is vegan does not engage in any of these practices and there'd be no need to legislate them. Yeah, but at the same time, I think we've also talked about how while the vegan education and literally turning people vegan is probably one of the most important, if not the most important aspect of it, you know, getting attacking it from all these different angles, I think, is only going to expedite that process. Yes. Yeah, and, definitely. And, it, yeah. And the legislative angle is one of the big ones. Yeah. And, you know, like I said last week, it's it's better to have it officially recognized that animals are sentient than not. Yeah. You know, we, we don't want we don't want to take steps backwards, which I think that certainly would be. Mm hmm. But you know. and, and, and you know, I, I think there are many people who do believe like this is this is the law and it's the law for a reason, so it's it's right, it's morally correct. Whatever the law is 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 right. Or or people have a belief and they are reinforced that their belief is automatically reinforced, they can say, This is what I believe and look, this is the law, so what I'm what I believe must be correct. So I do think that having you know, obviously, I don't think veganism as a official government law is we are anywhere close to that if it ever happens. But I do think that steps towards that will either make people question their own choices or it will chip away at the the reasons they have for not being vegan. Yeah, that is that is certainly true. There are a lot of people that believe that the law dictates morality which I mm-hmm. don't don't believe is actually the case, but certainly there are a lot of people that that's sort of where they get their guidance from, or at the very least, if they're like, well, it's not illegal to do this, so it must be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, so that's just a little, little follow-up on that, a little more defensive action from, from the uh, MPs that voted not to include that amendment in the transfer of laws, so... We'll we'll keep an eye on that and see what happens and see if they ever do actually pass this comprehensive, much more effective amendment that they're they're talking about right now. I remain doubtful that that will happen, but we'll see. Ah, Andy's typical pessimism. <laughs> Classic. That's what I'm here for, Paul. <laughs> but you know what I'm not pessimistic about? John Cena. John Cena, specifically an animated film with John Cena voicing a cartoon bull. Mm-hmm. 
I'd what be are, pretty what excited are you about, about that. Andy? What are you talking it's a, about? It's a film called Ferdinand. We're going to be reviewing this film. It comes out December 15th, but there's sort of a news item that I thought would be interesting to talk about now because I feel like, Paul, normally when we see a trailer come out and it's teased as being an animal rights film or a vegan film of some kind, we like to make a little bit of speculation based on what we've seen in the trailer. Then we can see if that speculation comes true Mm -hmm. it's only a few weeks away so i I don't know if i really want to get too deep in the speculation but there's an interesting promotional strategy that's being used to sort of get this quote-unquote animal rights film it's it's being touted as an animal rights film by multiple media outlets mostly vegan outlets of course so maybe it's in their their own interest to sort of put that label on it but it's a really interesting promotional strategy that I wanted to talk about a little bit. But before we talk about that promotional strategy, I, I do want to get your impression of this trailer, Paul. You had a chance to watch it. I did, yes. What, what do you think? I think it looks like a great movie. I'm a big fan of animated kids' movies. Uh, Clyde with the Chance of Meatballs 2 ranks up there. Uh, <laughs> ranks up there as one of my all-time favorite movies. But I... Big Hero 6, another great one. But I... I do think it's going to be good, and I I am I am hopeful about how they're portraying the character Ferdinand, a, a an animal that is has historically been portrayed as you know the the mean like tough big rough animal the bull. I, I'm I'm excited about how they're portraying this character, and I do think it has the ability to make people see bulls specifically in a different light. I, I think it will, I would not be surprised if it has enough impact on bullfighting and, and the decline of bullfighting and, and seeing bullfighting as, as barbaric. I think it will have that impact. And I hope that it, it makes people also question other forms of animal abuse. It, it, from the, from the trailer, it does seem like it tackles you know, animals trying to escape and animals trying to be free and, and it wasn't just the bull. So I'm, I'm hoping that th- there was a chicken in the trailer as well. You know, I'm hoping that it tackles other forms of, of animal abuse other than bullfighting. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little wary of using the, the term barbaric when talking about practices of other cultures. Cause I feel like that does get kind of loaded, but yeah, for those that are, unfamiliar with this it's it's not too much of a spoiler but essentially ferdinand is a bull who gets stung by a bee and i guess that makes everyone think he's really angry and then he gets carted off to do some bullfighting so that is why bullfighting is a central component to this film uh in in the trailer you see john cena in the flesh not just as the bull talking about sort of the morals of the story and essentially says you can't judge a bull by its cover is the message of the film (laughs) so I wasn't getting strong animal rights vibes necessarily from this, but I also feel like the trailer could be sort of obfuscating that a little bit to get people into the theater, if that is their actual strategy. And I also wonder if this is just something that sort of people are like vegan outlets are just sort of running with this notion of an animal rights film. So I will definitely be really curious to see this full film and, and actually judge what kind of messages it's putting out there. But anyway, that promotional strategy that I was mentioning was, um, I'm going to read a little bit from worldanimalnews.com, and it said, while the highly anticipated animated animal rights film Ferdinand is preparing to open in theaters nationwide on December 15th, 2017, 
The film's namesake has already arrived at his new home at The Gentle Barn in Santa Clarita, California. The compassionate move to adopt a bull calf named after the film's title character was facilitated by a partnership between The Gentle Barn, 20th Century Fox, and plant-based beverage brand Zevia. So, so essentially, this is like their tie-in with the film is that they are adopting a bull, rescuing a bull. I'm not entirely sure where the bull has come from, whether the bull was purchased or not. But either way, they're adopting this bull into their facility, which is a animal sanctuary. And they've named him Ferdinand. And that's like their way to promote the film. Hmm. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I, it, 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 it feels kind of icky to me. It, I see where you're coming from. I will say, though, is that what I will say, though, is that it possibly has the uh, it, it could possibly lead people to discovering about animal sanctuaries that just didn't even because I know before I was vegan, I didn't really know what animal sanctuaries were or what they or that they existed. So I guess it maybe has the the capacity to get some exposure with that. I guess that I'm just, I'm looking for positives here, but, but I definitely see where you're coming from where it's, it's almost like the adoption of this bull is they're exploiting that for their own gain. Yeah. And I'm sure people could say, but Andy, that's kind of what so many of these sanctuaries do. Even some, even some of my favorite ones like Skylands where they refuse to pay for any animals that they take in. They still need to, on some level, use their animals for promotion to get donations and to get visitors and raise awareness about the stories of you know where these animals came from. So, so I get that there is that need. Like you got to get the money how you can, and if they're helping an animal in the process, what is really the harm? But the, to me, almost this feels like it's kind of tiptoeing over a line where it's like very actively commodifying an animal and like using them as branding for a film for this, you know, giant media conglomerate. And then the fact that it's also like in con- con- in conjunction with Zevia and it just, <laughs> it, I'm like, uh, is there, I know this isn't going to be the case, but it's kind of like, I picture the bull draped with logos from Zevia and 20th century Fox and something about it feels off to me. Yeah. But it, but I do see your point that this could be something that raises awareness about the fact that animal sanctuaries exist could get people asking, why is there a need for farmed animal sanctuaries? And maybe I should go visit one and, and get to know these animals that are taken out of this horrible system of abuse. So, so I get that point, but it just, I don't know. It just, I'm not, I don't feel down with it. I, I, I t- for me though, Andy, I feel like it, this is, that this aspect, this one specific aspect that we're talking about is relatively small on the scale of like ways that humans are exploiting animals. Like it's relatively on the least harmful of the, of the list of those things. It's, it's on the least harmful end of that spectrum. So I don't know. It, it like, like, cause we were just talking about like animal sanctuaries are doing this to to some extent you know they'll post cute they'll post cute pictures and videos of of the animals and and sometimes it is to be like oh look at how happy these animals are and this is why you should be vegan so you shouldn't exploit them but other times you know they're just 
posting them because that gets a lot of social media shares and likes and and then that's hopefully going to lead people to visit the sanctuary or donate to the sanctuary and those sorts of things so i i, I don't know i i don't think that even though i understand your feelings and i understand that it does seem like it's it's exploiting this this adoption for that animal or animals in general i don't think that it's the most harmful thing that's you know that's happening to animals by a long shot but it's still like like message wise and philosophically it's still commodifying an animal but like i was saying isn't that what you know what other animal sanctuaries are doing sometimes when it it, it like i i feel like it feels ickier because it's in conjunction with 20th century fox and zevia but if it was just if for, for instance if it was just the gentle barn doing this or just some other some other farm sanctuary that was that was putting some messaging out and i'm sure that some of them will do this they'll say you saw the movie ferdinand now come visit the actual animals that are that have been saved or something like that i feel like it would be less it would feel less icky it's just the fact that it's in conjunction with these you know these giants that are making these massive amounts of money 20th century fox that that's what makes it feel ickier yeah i mean i guess it's because you're like okay obviously gentle barn is getting money from this promotion and and i guess someone would say well what's the harm it's it's not hurting the animals and they're getting money to run their operation you know i don't know it's like you know to your point i'm sure that there are numerous animal sanctuaries out there that have pigs named babe and wilbur and like (laughs) is that is that so different but this is kind of like come see the actual bull come see the real life ferdinand from this animated film at the gentle barn and i don't know i don't know I, i i don't have anything more to say but i would love to know what other people listening feel about that partnership i worry andy andy i worry that this is the sort of thing that vegans will say they're gonna boycott going to the movie over yeah and i mean also this is the kind of thing where i feel like people are like look at how unreasonable vegans are (laughs) they won't even let this happen but i but i feel like it's something that sort of gets at the heart of of what veganism is about which is that we're not supposed to commodify animals we're not we're not supposed to use them for our own means they are beings that exist in and of themselves and then I'm sure someone would say, well, they can't exist in and of themselves in our current system, and someone needs to take care of them, and that requires money, and that means resorting to these less than perfect measures. I don't know. I don't know, yeah, Paul. Yeah, that's what I would. That's what I would say too, Andy. But I will. I, uh, something else I want to say. I did not realize when you sent me this movie trailer, one of the related videos was that was a cartoon from 1938, also called Ferdinand, and I believe that this is what this movie is loosely based off that cartoon and i scrolled a little bit around that and it was also about a bull that that did not want to fight in a in a bull ring so it's i don't know i just thought it was kind of interesting that that this story even though i imagine that the one that's about to come out is going to be is going to have some heavier animal rights implications it's interesting that that idea was all the way back in 1938 yeah, yeah, I saw I saw that as well. I was previously unaware that it was based off of this original short, which is only about seven or eight minutes long. I think we should both definitely watch that prior to reviewing the actual film to see what what transfers over, what doesn't. So that that could be an interesting experience as well. Yeah. 
All right, let's let's move on into this interesting news from Singapore. What is it, Paul? Interesting news from foodnavigator.com. This is an article titled Waste from Soy Milk and Tofu Production Turned into High-Value Ingredient by Singapore Scientists. And this article is coming to us from November 22nd, so a couple couple weeks ago. Singapore food scientists have turned wasted okara, the byproduct of soy milk and tofu production, into a nutritious and tasty food ingredient. About 10,000 tons of okara are produced annually in Singapore. It spoils easily and has an unpleasant smell and is unpalatable, so soy food producers dispose of it, which contributes to food waste. To reduce this wastage, Professor Liu Xiao Quan and the research team from the Food Science and Technology Program at the Department of Chemistry, National University of Singapore, it's a long title, have developed a biotransformation process for okara using a combination of natural microorganisms and enzymes such as cellulase and hemicellulase to convert it into a high-value food ingredient with better nutritional value as well as enhanced flavor. So it kind of goes a little bit into some of the some of what the professors and and the actual it goes into some of the actual process, which is interesting, but I think less important for this discussion. The renewed okara contains more soluble fiber, which helps to maintain gut health. Furthermore, it acquires a meaty taste and becomes easier to digest as the insoluble fibers are broken down. This makes it suitable as an ingredient for a variety of food products such as baked goods and meat substitutes. He hopes to spread the knowledge of the benefits of biotransformed okara, such as low GI, antioxidant, high soluble fiber, including in a talk at a roundtable discussion on sustainability in foods by NUS Enterprise on November 23rd, which already happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 I think that this is interesting and important because we've we've had episodes talking about food waste before i don't know if it's ever been a main discussion i know we've had talks about freaganism and those sorts of things but we've talked about food waste and i think vegans are quick to point out always how the waste from and and the the environmental hazards from non-vegan food sources is often greater than from vegan food sources but i think it's also good to acknowledge that vegans can always be doing better as well and this is one, I think this is one pretty cool way that it seems that some of these vegan scientists in Singapore have developed a way to eliminate some food byproduct waste. Yeah, that is awesome. A continuous improvement on all fronts, Paul. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it very much. And maybe it'll make, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this takes off and just all sort of soy, soy milk and tofu production adapts this if it takes off it it's and i hope that it does so maybe we'll see that in the u.s coming up because uh, i i imagine from a capitalist standpoint why not make turn the thing that you had previously had to pay to dispose of into something that's now possibly profitable for you yeah absolutely i, I mean i think about how the the meat industry has found ways to wring profit out of every little bit and byproduct of the animals that they, you know, process of their system. I hate to use that euphemism, but the animals that they, you know, destroy. <laughs> so I think it's great to see the the tofu and the soy industry picking up on their heels right there. Heck yeah. So now, Andy, now that we've had a, a good bit of news, let's have a, a more controversial bit of news. 
Oh, yeah. This is the thing that everybody is talking about. This news is from December 1st, 2017. So very recently, as of the time of this recording, this is uh, I'm going to read a little bit from foodbev.com. It says, Maple Leaf buys meat alternative brand field roast for $120 million. So this is on the heels of a number of big acquisitions that we've seen this year. Obviously, we had Atsuka purchasing Dea. We had Tyson investing in 5% or purchasing 5% of Beyond Meat. And I feel like we've just seen a number of these things where these large non-vegan companies are purchasing up or you know acquiring or getting a percentage of sales from these smaller but still pretty prominent vegan brands as well. And, I, I, you know, we've had a number of conversations about this, Paul, but something about this one has, like, re-sparked a lot of debate. And I see two camps when this happens. And, and so Maple Leaf, for a little bit of perspective, is Canada's largest meat producer. So they are this, like, giant in the field of of meat production. And obviously that means in the slaughtering and exploitation of animals. So... It's it's caused a lot of controversy, and I see these two camps, and and one camp is this is absolutely the worst thing ever, and we can't trust them ever again, and I guess we can't purchase field roast and find other alternatives, and then there's the camp of people that are saying, this is the best possible thing that has ever happened to animals in the history of ever, and we should be <laughs> dancing in the streets because, oh my God, veganism is mainstream, and this is the best possible thing that could ever happen. So... I. I, I don't see too many people that seem to be expressing a view in the middle of the road there, which I, I feel like is kind of where we normally where we have fallen in the past, which is kind of like this sucks, but this is the system that we're in. And we're happy that potentially these things become more readily available, these things being vegan products, because that makes it easier to convince other people to go vegan. It like r- removes the hurdles that do happen, but also it does suck. So going to talk a little bit about the response from from Maple Leaf and the response from Field Roast as well. So this article coming to us from FoodBev talks about the response from Maple Leaf. So speaking of the Field Roast deal, Maple Leaf President Michael McCain said, the acquisition aligns with our vision to be a leader in sustainable protein and create shared value through making a positive social impact. Field Roast has built brand leadership through focusing on quality, craftsmanship, and taste, and its acquisition will allow Maple Leaf to fuel growth in the category through investment, brand building, and innovation. And this is actually not the first foray that Maple Leaf has had into the plant-based meat sector. Um, back in February, we didn't we didn't cover this, but back in February, Maple Leaf acquired Lightlife for a hundred and forty million dollars. So. That's that was a big thing actually. I didn't realize this, but I guess maybe I should have. Apparently, Lightlife accounts for about forty percent of the U.S. refrigerated vegan meat market. Which at first I was like, really, Lightlife that much? <laughs> like they're not that great as much as I love their their vegan sausage in a tube, the little love DIY. It. Uh, flaw- it's been flawless for so long. But I was like, yeah, I guess they're the one brand that I can count on to see in almost any supermarket that I go to. It's it's very rare where I go to supermarket and I don't see some of their products available. So, yeah. uh, you know, I guess I, I hold other 
products in higher regard. I'm like, oh, the Beyond Meats are tastier. The Tofurkeys are tastier. I'd imagine Tofurkey must have a pretty big market share as well because they have they're they're pretty ubiquitous at this point as well. But either way, Maple Leaf is coming in and they are really making a strong play for the plant-based meat sector. And looking into this a little bit, I found that Maple Leaf Foods is kind of going through this big rebranding where they're trying to, I, I would, my assumption is get ahead of the market. They see the trends, they see what consumers are wanting, and they're trying to get ahead of it and saying, we're, we're the sustainable meat producer, or as they call it, they're just using the term protein at this point. And I want to talk about the use of that term, but I found another article also from FoodBev, which said Maple Leaf Foods sets out to plan to be sustainability world leader. So I'm going to read a little bit from that before we talk about it. Maple Leaf has published what it calls an industry-first set of sustainable meat principles, which will guide best practices. These include ensuring that sustainable meat is produced adhering to environmental standards and by a company responsive to the needs of society. The company is responding to what it believes is a lack of trust in the food industry, which has not operated with the level of transparency or accountability to consumer health that society needs. President and CEO of Maple Leaf Foods, Michael McCain, said, The world we live in is facing profound social and environmental challenges as we seek to sustainably feed a burgeoning global population. Our food system has drifted from its roots to nourish well-being, to farm sustainability, to view food as a universal good for all. We must serve the world better. I read this, Paul, as almost like greenwashing and humane washing and sustainable washing, essentially. Like they're trying to take something that is inherently unsustainable, the production, the the mass production of meat, and they're acquiring these plant-based brands to sort of help their image. And they're also putting out these guidelines, which seem kind of meaningless to me, but they know that meat has gotten a really bad rap lately because it is so horribly unsustainable and we can thank films like Cowspiracy for that I'm sure what do you what do you make of all this I I want to be hopeful and and I want to believe what they are what what they're putting forward as genuine but I I feel like it's just what what every one of these companies is doing now they're putting out they're putting out some press release very similar to all these that say something like we care about how our animals are treated we care about the environment so we have these strict set of guidelines that that we make sure all our food production goes through in order to to maintain this and for instance we we talked about the what was it mcdonald's a few weeks back we talked about the one vegan organization that was kind of targeting mcdonald's was it mcdonald's or burger king it was mcdonald's and i think it was um wasn't the humane league yeah the humane league and and how even though the humane league was was pushing for mcdonald's to further their their welfare guidelines mcdonald's had already put out a statement you know very similar not exactly but very similar to this maple leaf statement which is basically saying we care about these things so look at all these things that we're doing to to prevent animal suffering and to make the animals happier and and to make the environment better and stuff like that so it's it's kind of like i have to take all these all these kind of 
big statements that that these corporations put out with a grain of salt because I for the most part I don't think they're genuine. Another example is we talked about when we were talking about chocolate recently. I want to say I don't remember if it was Nestle. I'm pretty sure who, it was Nestle. Yeah, put out you know they put out a big statement about this is what we're doing to combat uh, like child slavery and and fair wages and 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 this is this is all the good things that we're doing to prevent this. And it's like I want to believe that they actually care about these things, but at the end of the day, I'm highly skeptical of it. So that's how I feel about that. Yes, Andy. I would say that's optimistic Paul speaking. Yeah. And pessimistic Andy says, <laughs> no, 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 they are corporations. And by definition, they only care about profit. Yeah. But what I will disagree with you about, Andy, well, I guess maybe another thing I'll disagree with you about is that <laughs> I I don't believe that they that they took on Field Roast for the image of it. I'm going to, again, be optimistic and say I believe that they acquired Field Roast because they want to be, and Light Life as well, because they want to be able to have this fallback when the meat, when meat sales inevitably plummet and they'll, they'll be like, oh, whew, we already, we already have these, we already have some of the biggest non-animal product like um, meat substitute companies. So we're good when this, when this, the downfall of meat inevitably happens, we're good. Like, I think that that's more so why they, they're, they acquired these two companies. I I would imagine it's a little bit of both, but I think that the fact that they're putting out these statements shows that they care very much about their image. Yeah. But I, I think they care about their image because we are getting into a time where people are questioning animal animal welfare and, and how animals are treated. And we're questioning as a whole, not just vegans and we're questioning things about the environment. So I feel like they, they, they think they need to put out something like this in order to save image. But I don't think that, I don't know. I, I really don't think that that's why they were, they're acquiring these companies. And again, I think I'm being very optimistic in hoping that the reason that they're acquiring these is because the the, the biggest the the meat giants the meat industry giants that themselves are worrying about the shifting in our you know how we view food and how we eat food and and i think that that's something to be optimistic about yeah i mean i guess what i could potentially be optimistic about is a point that was brought up a couple episodes ago i'm forgetting who this quote was from it may have been one of the people from like Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods or something, but essentially they said that, you know, people enjoy eating meat in spite of how it's produced, not because of how it's produced. And and honestly, I'm like, part of me wants to believe that there is some executive out there that's like, I hate that this is how I have to make my money, but there's not enough money in plant-based foods. And Oh, how I wish the market was big enough where I wouldn't have to slaughter animals anymore. And maybe this is like wishful thinking on their part. And they're like, we could excel this market. And I can make money this way. That is like the most charitable <laughs> reading I will ever give to a situation like this, but it it would be nice. I mean, obviously <laughs> it'd be better if they're just like, fuck it. Like, let's just go all in on plant-based foods right now. And then like really dominate the industry. But I don't know. I mean, I guess when when this first started happening, 
I was reading it more favorably than than I currently am now because at first it was like, oh look at this is great industry see the writing on the wall and that shows that like our, the market for these things are growing and that means of course that more vegans or vegan you know curious people are entering into the consumer <laughs> sphere and purchasing these things and that ultimately means that more animals will be saved. And and with each one of these acquisitions that happens, I feel like I'm less and less excited about it to the point where I'm just kind of like, I'm over it. And I just am kind of just sad at the state of affairs. Why? Well, I so I watched a really great video from a privileged vegan who I believe we've mentioned on the show before. And I'm going to put a link to this in our show notes said... Will we see a vegan world under capitalism? And it's it's a 30-minute long video or 34 minutes. It's very thorough, and I don't want to totally steal her thunder there, so I think people should just go and watch it. But essentially, it talks about how th- at the same time that we've seen unprecedented growth in the plant-based like food sector, meat and, and milk especially, we also have not seen a decline in the amount of animals that are killed for food. And like, how how can these two things reconcile themselves? Like, how can one be true while the other is also true? And she kind of talks about how like they can be both be true at the same time. And and I, I brought this point in the other episode because of something the vegan warrior princes attack we're talking about, which was, you know, when when a lot of these companies get profits from the plant based foods that they've acquired, yes, some of that will go back into growing that company. But they also know that they can profit by expanding into these other markets that that are growing around the world. And we know as people acquire wealth, they start to eat more plant-based foods. They start to eat more like the Western diet. And so there's all these markets that are very untapped in the world that are just starting to grow up. And so we're seeing that, like, yes, there can be more vegans growing here and more people eating these products here. But that doesn't necessarily mean that less animals are slaughtered. And and so it's much more complicated, multifaceted than that. I definitely recommend watching the video. But it does have me feeling more cynical about this whole thing. But at the same time, I guess it's sort of it's something I always struggle with, which is like looking at the bigger picture versus what can I individually do right now? And obviously we have a podcast. We have like a voice to broadcast to you more than just the few people we talk to every day. But at the same time, it's kind of like the bigger picture stuff is, is almost so depressing to me that I'm like, what can I as an individual do? And I feel like what I as an individual can do is continue to work to help make more vegans and educate people about why animals are not ours to use, that they're not commodities, that they deserve to be autonomous beings. And to me, that's like the work that I can do that I think will have an effect, if not on supply and demand, it at least has some sort of effect on changing the public consciousness around these things. I don't know. It, it almost feels like futile at some point, but but maybe that just means that the vegan movements as as the growth of, you know, these emerging markets, it means that vegan movements in those countries also need to grow to sort of counteract that. I don't know. But to me, it's almost it's like really depressing when I see someone break it down for me in this bigger picture sort of frame. You're really bringing me down, Andy. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. <laughs> really bringing down that optimism that I was just just putting forward a few minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, it's just I don't know. It's it's. To me, it's a bummer, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I, I guess I am happy that 
that there are that potentially this means that field roast products will become more readily available. And I do think that that makes the job of vegan advocates that are working to get people to change their, you know, I, I think I've said this before for so many people, it starts with diet. I think that that is the first step for many people to changing their mindset about a whole host of issues. That's how it certainly, it was for me. This is not how it's going to be for everybody, but once you sort of remove yourself from from that violence that you're ingesting three times a day, it makes it easier to sort of change your mindset about how you view animals in general. And then you start thinking about zoos and aquariums and the leather you're wearing and all of these things. And obviously, field roast products, they're not the cheap. They're, they're definitely not the cheapest out there. I think that they're usually the most expensive of the little section in the, you know, the produce section where you see the tofurkey and the tofu and then the, the field roast products, usually they're the most expensive. Hopefully this acquisition means the price can go down, but who knows? So obviously it makes veganism more accessible to a certain, you know, demographic of people that are, that are a little more economically advantaged. But at the same time, as we know, the people that are the most economically advantaged have the biggest impact on the environment and on animals. So isn't it at least good that those people have more access to these products and hopefully can change more easily? Mm. All, all good questions, Andy. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, these are, these are the things that keep me up at night, Paul. I, I struggle. <laughs> and again, it, I come back to like, I just got to keep my head down and keep doing the work that I can do. Yeah. And I don't know. And I'm just like, well, does that mean I'm I'm being counter if like I'm not incorporating this big picture thing? But how do I incorporate this big picture pitch to people that I'm when I'm discussing veganism with them? Is it we struggle with this all the time? Is it too much to load all of this stuff onto someone? And is it just easier to say, hey, start by trying this veggie burger? Start, you know, start by thinking about animals differently. I don't know. I, I I do not know. I don't expect you to have answers. I don't expect us to necessarily <laughs> ever have answers. But the these are the existential crises that acquisitions of field roast by Maple Leaf Foods bring upon me, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's a bad thing then if it's destroying you from the inside out. Yeah, yeah it's just uh, I don't know. It, it I, I, again, I would love to hear what people think about all of this, but it's. For me, it's not so easy to say this is the best thing ever. Oh, my God, capitalism is going to save everything and consumerist veganism is the best thing ever. But also, it's hard for me to fall into that that category of this is the worst thing that's ever happened to animals and it means nothing at all. I think it means something, but I don't think it means animal liberation. I just think it means maybe another piece in the puzzle making it easy for people to change over. But if they're just changing over within an existing capitalist system... Is that ever really going to get us where we want to be? Is it a baby step in the right direction? Is it a foot in the door? I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it's big issues. I feel like we should maybe expand on this in another episode sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you post a lot of good questions. Yeah. I, <laughs> I need to know the answers, Paul. <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm some like philosophy 101 student here right now and there's people listening and they're just like, "Oh, you fool. There's clearly these defined <laughs> answers for all of these things and this is what you're supposed to do." But help us out. Help us out. Send us some resources. We want to know. So yeah, and Andy Andy has posed many a good question and definitely if you have some opinion on this, if you have some insight on this, let us know. Of course, the email is thebeardedvegans@gmail.com. 
And should should we keep purchasing field roast? Should we not keep purchasing field roast? Let us let us know why. I think the the biggest hit for me, Paul, if if my conclusion is I don't want to support these these companies that have these horrible parent companies, which you know, again, in many ways that can be sort of a, a futile thing. And then it's like, well, should you not purchase food at a grocery store that has non-vegan products, et cetera, et cetera. But that chow cheese is so good, Paul. <laughs> I can't I can't boycott them until I try those corn dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bleh. So with that, let's move on into our main discussion, our main event of the night. And that is the, our review of Vegan 2017. Everyone's vegan now. People are going vegan left and right. We raised more than $100 million. We are putting pressure on a system, and the system will break. It looks like meat, tastes like meat, yes, even bleeds like meat. And I do think those scales are going to tip. And the debate started. What is milk? Today, people understand how cruel the fur industry is. Look at what the meat industry is, is doing to our planet. Look at what it's doing to other animals. Look at what it's doing to us. So should we all be going vegan? I promise you a future exists where every animal is treated with love, respect, kindness, dignity and compassion. Disproportion between that little bit of extra pleasure you might get from eating meat and the phenomenal amount of destruction required to produce it should surely commend it to anyone as a stupid thing to do. All right. Paul. So yeah, we teased this a while ago. We thought this would be a nice way to wrap up the year because this is actually going to be our last normally formatted episode of 2017. Don't worry. You will still hear us in your ears weekly for the rest of the year. We will explain what exactly that's going to look like next episode, our mailbag episode. Send in those questions. But this is like a nice, this kind of like ties together. This sort of highlights so many of the things that we've talked about over the year. So it's kind of a nice, nice little wrap up for us. So Vegan 2017, as we've mentioned before, is a now yearly installment documentary series by plant-based news so this is the third one that has come out according to plant-based news it is a series of yearly movies documenting the global journey of veganism throughout the last 12 months vegan 2017 charts the movement's triumphs as well as the adversity it has faced as it grows and so this was done by klaus mitchell who is the founder of plant-based news we've certainly gotten many stories from them over the year and interestingly, Paul, he said he's going to make one of these every year for the next 30 years, <laughs> which is quite quite a commitment. But, I mean, if anyone's poised to do this particular type of film, which is essentially what are the biggest stories of the year and how can we tie them all together, it is someone that's running a site that is – they put out often multiple news items per day. Sometimes it's hard mm. to keep up with them. But, Paul, something I noticed, mm-hmm. the 2015 one – 22 minutes long the 2016 one is 35 minutes long and the 2017 one is 47 minutes long (laughs) they're each increasing by 12 or 13 minutes so i feel like within a few years it's gonna surpass your threshold for how long you can sit Mm. and watch a movie this is true this is true (laughs) that would be that would be hilarious if every year they just increased 12 minutes and (laughs) and but in 30 years it's like a four-hour movie this is the whole like mini series that they do so <laughs> i i did not i have i have to I must admit i did not watch the 2015 one but i did watch the 2016 one and i actually quite liked it as sort of a documentation of what i would call sort of the mainstream animal rights movement 
And so we watched this one. We're going to put a link up in the show notes. It is free to watch on YouTube. It's 47 minutes. I would say it breezes by pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, as of the time of this being posted, which was about it went up for viewing four days ago, it currently has 185,000 views, has 11,000 thumbs up and, and only 153 some thumbs down. So a lot of people have seen this film. Paul, you had we both had a chance to watch it this morning shortly before recording. This is not a film that we can really spoil. If you have listened to the show over the last year, you know pretty much everything that's in this film. So there's not going to be like a spoiler section or anything like that. We're just going to talk about it generally and, and more specifically as well. Paul, mm-hmm. what is your overall opinion on Vegan 2017? Well, after watching the entire thing, I had... One singular burning question that I I could not wait to get on this podcast to ask you about, Andy, and that is, Dr. Gregor has a reality TV show? <laughs> I think he has a series on PBS. Wasn't that it? Yeah, yeah. They frame it. They, they said reality TV show in the in the vegan 2017, but that's because he's dropping those real nutrition facts. <laughs> uh, my overall opinions. I thought that the, I want to say the first third of the movie kind of plays out like a health documentary. And I was kind of taken back by that. I, th- I, I had different expectations. And then the, the second half of the movie or the last two thirds of the movie played out a little more to my expectations, which was like an overview of the things that happened related to veganism in 2017 and i will say i enjoyed the sec the 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 latter half more than the the beginning half the beginning half was to me it just felt like another one of these health documentaries that touts a lot of the same messages that we don't necessarily agree with namely that veganism is the cure-all there was even one part where Someone says, and and I didn't catch this at first uh, because it was the first person that came on, but someone comes on and says something like, oh, treating disease is not a a one size fits all. Different people need different things. And I was like, I kind of perked up and I was like, oh, okay. But then I quickly realized that that was in a compilation of clips saying uh, of people talking against veganism so it was followed by another clip of another guy saying like oh meat is fine for you and another clip of another person saying like veganism is actually bad for you you're gonna die if you're on veganism and i was like oh i see what they're doing they're they're saying that that's a bad thing and i was bummed because i was i was gonna be like yes this is the first time in a in a vegan health (laughs) uh film that that they're not saying that different people should be treated or might need different sorts of treatments but i was i was mistaken and they were saying the same exact thing, which is that all you need is veganism and and you'll be you'll live forever. Yeah, the, the film starts with sort of two different stories about milk and the the labeling of milk as inhumane, which is a story that we covered, and also the dairy industry and certain lawmakers trying to make it so you can't call plant based milk milk. And I was like, oh, this is like an interesting kind of. I don't want to say suspenseful necessarily, but I think if someone wasn't aware of these things, you'd be like, wow, what an interesting story about to follow. But then it dives so quickly into this whole health thing and actually wrote down as like, this feels like it's a mini what the health, like right away. It's the first 17 minutes of the film, aside from this inhumane milk thing and a few other little bits here and there. 
essentially the first 15 to 17 minutes are all health-based. And it, it was cool to see friend of the show, Tony Okamoto, who I believe is our interview on episode three. She's in there. That was cool. <laughs> Milton Mills is in there. So, so, you know, some familiar faces. But yeah, to, to your point, Paul, I wrote down a quote from Cyrus Kambata, who's a nutritionist, said, there is not a single more study that needs to be done to convince the world that a plant-based diet is the best option for long-term health. And that is sort of the the thesis of so many of the it, it's it's a slew of the usual suspects for the most part uh, the the Gregors the the Garth T, Davises, T. Colin Campbell, T. Colin Campbell <laughs> with, uh, with like w- he had I think <laughs> one second of airtime. <laughs> <laughs> Pamela Popper, MD, was in there as well. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, so this was kind of the thing that was being put forth in the beginning of the film, which is. The evidence is overwhelming. Anything other than a plant-based diet is not the best diet ever for human existence. And we've talked about the issues with that messaging in the past. But, you know, I think Ginny Messina, Vegan RD, that we, we've talked about some of, of her work on the show before. And she kind of puts it that it's only the best diet for not harming animals. And there's not really that much evidence to say that you couldn't incorporate some animal products into your diet and have pretty much the same health effects that are going on, which is like, yeah, you could eat a plant-based diet and have a pepperoni pizza like once a month. And it's not going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And I don't know. It just, it feels a little dishonest. And then, then what if we do find out that, Oh, actually this animal product is going to be healthier for us. And how do we change our messaging then? And I, I think that, we can be realistic and honest about the health benefits of which there are many of eating, you know, unprocessed whole plant-based foods, but without resorting to this hyperbolic rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, like Milton Mills, he talks, he, there's, they just threw like a line in there. So he didn't really get to explain it, but he said, we are true herbivores. And that's something we've talked about before where it's like, eh, I don't know if we really need to prove that we're herbivores. All we need to show is that we can thrive on a plant-based diet and, arguing against people's general perceptions of our physiology and it's it's it reminded me of our backfire episode backfire effect episode paul we talked about how you have to fill the gap which is sort of like where you're taking one piece of information that someone knows and giving them a new one and you sort of have to fill the gap and make sure that their worldview hasn't changed and i feel like if you're trying to tell someone you can thrive on a plant-based diet but then you're also like everything you thought you knew about human nutrition is wrong and we're actually not suited to eat these things that the vast majority of the population's eating. It almost feels like it's not following that principle and like we're trying to prove something that we don't need to necessarily prove. Yeah. Yeah. So it does that, which the, I don't know. And then then they moved on, though, into the environment. And the environment only got about four to five minutes when I was when I was watching the clock there. But I thought the environmental section was significantly more convincing. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they had flipped the, maybe flipped it, the t- the times and put th- spent that much time with the environment as they did with the health. And, you know, I, I, I don't think, because with the health stuff, it wasn't really, for the most part, I didn't feel like it was, this happened in 2017 sort of business. It was more, this is just what the health document like what health documentaries are saying namely what the health what what the health is saying and 
because the rest of I felt like for the majority of the other parts of the movie, it was more it was more so these are the news things. These are developments that happened in 2017. But the health stuff, I mean, you could go back and watch Forks Over Knives and probably get a lot of the exact lines that people said in this movie from Forks Over Knives, which was what, like 10 years ago? Yeah. So I was I was a little bit bummed about that. Yeah, it did feel kind of general. And, you know, they were using clips of things that happened this year, but it didn't feel so much like a wrap up of here's the new things we learned. And this this leads to a question that I always love to ask and we get into more in depth later on. But I think we can start answering it now, which is who is this for? Who's going to benefit most from this film? And in the little plant based news press release about this whole thing. It says, he, referring to uh, Klaus Mitchell there, he is excited about the new film, believing it will resonate with a larger audience than the previous installment, saying, quote, this one is longer, more professional, and I think more accessible for non-vegans. So is this actually a good strategy to sort of put this, here's health and environment, like right out front to sort of calm people's fears of this is unhealthy for me and this is bad for the environment or any of those things like it sort of gets those concerns out of the way so then maybe people can take in this other information better later on like do you think that's kind of what they're trying to do here that did not come to mind for me if that (laughs) if if that's what they're trying to do then i think like kudos to them for trying to implement that strategy of making you feel the the reducitarian strategy of making you feel comfortable and then really telling you what, what, how, how we feel. But I did not, I would not guess that that's what the intent was. I think that they probably just figured, okay, let's make this documentary about what happened in 2017. And we're going to have a section about health environment and animal stuff. And since what the health was one of the biggest, I, I think, had some of had a very large impact on people non-vegans i think that they were probably thinking let's make the let's make this just a mini what the health because that's what that was successful so let's make this successful although but again what you were just asking which is who is this for then that points to the fact that they were trying they're trying to make this a video that you know is quote successful like i just said which i wouldn't think that that's what they're trying to do necessarily with this. I think our, our, some of our guesses about what it was when we first brought this up a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago was that it was more going to be like, this is what, look at what vegans did this year. This is what vegans did. And I think to some extent it did do that, but that's not the feeling that I got about. That's not the feeling I got in the health section. Yeah. I mean, and the film does talk about what the health later on, when it does start to revert back to more of a, this is a rundown of what happened this year. It does say what the health came out and all these people went vegan or at least plant-based because of it. So it is able to get that stuff in there. I almost wonder if they could have toned down the health stuff in the beginning and sort of slipped that in there with when, when they use what the health to sort of foray back into the health side of things. And maybe that would have felt a little bit more natural and a little more fitting with the vibe and the overall tone and and theme of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can tell you what I do think this film was. 
mm-hmm. and that is a great infomercial for Beyond Meat. <laughs> yeah, a lot of lot of Beyond Meat clips and people, a lot of p- talk show hosts eating Beyond Meat clips, saying, "I can't believe this is vegan." Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting because yeah, after the environment, it goes on to talk about the plant based food sector. And it does it does mention briefly the non-vegan companies investing in the vegan companies and all, you know, not as in depth, but, you know, all the stuff that we just brought up involving the field roast issue and Daya and all that stuff and talks about talks a little bit about the impossible burger, but mostly about the beyond burger. So. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that almost like, you know, again, trying to think about who is this for? And I'm like, okay, the beginning seems like it's for you're not vegan. This is why you should go vegan. But then it kind of transitioned into you're already vegan and we should feel positive and you should stay vegan and we sh- we all got to keep working. And it almost feels like those two things are at odds, but maybe not. Maybe it is helpful for people that are considering going vegan to see all the progress that the movement has made, or at least progress as framed by this documentary. Uh, I think calling calling back to the depressing conversation that we we just had paul a lot of people would will look at this stuff and be like yeah i guess it's cool that all these new products are doing well but that shouldn't necessarily be the measure of progress that we have since animals are so many animals are still dying and and that number continues to increase but but for the sake of this film that is how they're measuring progress so i don't know they do spend a lot of time talking about that they talk a little about lab-grown meat the clean meat thing so Mm -hmm. So it did all this really positive stuff about the Beyond Meat and the vegan meat companies doing really well. And then it it briefly went into some of the, the downsides, like negative things that happened. It talked about the Hampton Creek recall. It talked about the Impossible Burger not being deemed safe to consume. Both of those are things that we covered extensively over the past year. I thought it was odd that they didn't go into those things a little bit more. Because I think that if I wasn't familiar with what happened with all of this stuff, and I'd imagine the average vegan is not reading as many articles about these things as we were because we had to report on them and discuss them in depth. And it almost made it feel like, yeah, Hampton Creek got recalled because it was unsafe. And that said the Impossible Burger was deemed not safe to consume. But it doesn't explain like... Well, it was just because they didn't get this one ingredient past the FDA thing, but it was still totally fine because you don't actually need the FDA approval to sell food. And it, it, I wish that it kind of explained those things a little bit more and, and maybe got into that debate. Otherwise, why include them at all? Because if I wasn't familiar with these things, it would just scare me from eating those products. But maybe that's what they want to do because both those products test on animals and they don't deem them vegan. So who knows? But they didn't. They didn't mention about the testing on animals, did they? I don't they, think that they did. They did not. They did not. Yeah. You know. So, but it was interesting that they didn't give more details on those things. Because that that is interesting to me as well. Because I feel like they were trying to be as positive about the vegan news as possible, and and I do appreciate that they would even bring up. They would even bring up some of the some things that happened with like legislation and and the the milk industry putting a lot of money into advertising like they brought up some of the the negative more negative things that happened against veganism they i, I appreciate that they brought those up but i never felt i guess i never felt pessimistic about it like i didn't leave the the film thinking wow 2017 was a bad year for veganism which i i think even if it 
even if it was, which I, I don't think it was, but even if it was, I feel like this movie, the, one of the purposes of this movie is to make it seem like it was a good year for veganism. And so that is interesting that they wouldn't have put the more, I guess, quote, positive conclusions to those stories that they brought up the Hampton Creek one and the impossible burger one. I'm surprised that they didn't kind of give you those conclusions to go along with the theme of, well, things were actually pretty good for veganism this year. Yeah. And actually I think that they focus a lot on the anti-vegan bias in the media and talk about a lot of basically the big financial stakes that are out there that, that prevent good coverage of vegan stuff in the media, plant-based stuff in the media. And I feel like they really could have doubled down on that talking about the Hampton Creek recall because that was such a weird, sketchy thing and all the stuff was revealed about like there was no source for the recall and the investigate all that stuff that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It feels like that could have really played into look at this sketchy underbelly of the business world that is really working counter to the interests of vegan products and some might say vegan, you know, like animal liberation and, and animal interests as well. And I, it's just kind of weird that the way they threw it out to to me would have scared me away from Hampton Creek products if I didn't do more research into it. Maybe they're, they're being paid by Beyond Meat. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. So, but I, but I did like that they talked about the anti-vegan bias in the media, and that is something I think that people that aren't vegan would benefit from and be like, oh, this might be one of the reasons why I have so many negative views of veganism, why I have so many negative views about like the health aspects and protein and all of these things. So I did appreciate that they explored those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they all, you know, they spent a, which I, I was not expecting this, although looking back, I guess it makes sense. I was not, they spent a big portion talking about vegan celebrities. Yes, they did. Miley Cyrus. Miley Yeah. I was going to say they spent a big portion about talking about vegan celebrities and they mentioned Miley Cyrus many times. I think at one point there's a clip where the reporter is saying, are you the most vegan vegan that there is? And I was like, <laughs> Ugh. and I will say this. I do appreciate that out of out of all the celebrities that they played clips of they only had interviews with a a few one of them being Moby and and I just wanted to say I think he's a good representation of a c- celebrity that, or he's a good vegan celebrity like he's he's one of the good ones I think <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that they had him as granted I don't know if they could have gotten an interview with Miley Cyrus even if they wanted to but and Moby is probably more accessible and more inclined to do these sorts of things. I was under the impression that none of this footage was original footage shot for this particular documentary. Uh, what? I was under the impression that all of this was sort of a compilation of footage from other things. Like this is an interview Moby gave for somebody else and it's being put into this film. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Okay. But that that was the vibe that I got from pretty much everything. It's hard for me to imagine, you know, plant-based news guy, Klaus Mitchell, like flying around and setting up interviews for for 20-second sound bites from all these people. You know, you might be right. I actually, I, I didn't even think about that. I thought that obviously the news clips or if it was clear that there was, it was a different there was someone else interviewing them or something like that, that it wasn't their own clip. But I thought that a lot of the, like, especially the, the, the health ones, I thought that they 
had gotten those interviews with those people. I am almost positive that they didn't, but there's not really any any information otherwise like listed in text accompanying the thing. But to me, it feels like it's just a compilation because a lot of like the Gregor stuff, a lot of that looked like different interviews because he's used several times and it's not always the same framing of the shot. He's not always wearing the same outfit. So my impression is that this is just a compilation of other footage. We got we got a little Sherlock Holmes over here investigating all all this uh, all this stuff. Yeah, you know the the vegan celeb that I was most excited to see in this whole thing. Who's that? Uh, not not the random shot of Joaquin Phoenix in a crowd, which was <laughs> which was very pleasing to me. Craig Robinson. Yeah, I was. Yeah, you know, I again, I don't put too much stock in vegan celebrities and their ability to promote animal liberation. But it is like we have to admit it's nice if there's someone whose work you enjoy and you find out that ethically in some ways they're aligned with with your worldview. And, you know, it's just nice. I was like, oh, Craig Robinson. I, d- I did not know. There's a few people <laughs> in there. I was like, oh, I didn't realize they're on the vegan train right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. who knows if it's just for health and all, whatever, all that stuff. But it was just kind of cool to see a few faces in there that I was like, oh, that's nice. I like that person's work. And and you know what they did include, however, they did include, and this made me a little bit skeptical. And we've talked about this before. Like, you're if you're making a documentary and you include one piece of false information, then as a viewer, you become skeptical of all the information. Can I make they a inclu- guess? Yes, you can. Is it Ellen? It was not Ellen. Oh no, it was Kylie Jenner. Oh, there was they they flashed that news article, I think, that said, like, Kylie Jenner now on a vegan diet. And that's the one if I correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, that we talked about how she had like eaten a vegan taco or something and posted I'm eating a vegan taco. And then everyone was like, Kylie Jenner's vegan now. Yeah, I think it was like giving this vegan thing a shot, you know, which oh, yeah, could have yeah, been yeah, interpreted yeah. interpreted so many ways. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's that shot where, uh, I forget who it was, someone was being interviewed by Alan, and they were like, I'm vegan, and Alan's like, oh, I'm vegan too, and there's, you know, again, I don't like to get into, oh, this person's not vegan because they did this thing or whatever, but, you know, she's a spokesperson for a, a makeup brand that tests on animals, and there's just been, like, a number of incidents where it's like, okay, Ellen's not, like, really vegan, and again, that's not, like, my thing, but I, I did notice that while perusing plant-based news over the year, they they report on celebrity stuff a lot. And they actually promote on celebrity stuff in ways that I wouldn't expect. Like, so-and-so is not going to be vegan for Thanksgiving, or so-and-so admits they're a cheating vegan. And part of me is like, why would you even really want to promote that stuff? I guess it maybe gets the clicks and it gets you know, the advertising paid for and all that stuff because people get outraged and they share it around more than the positive stories. But mm-hmm. it, it felt like a weird, this is not really about the film, but this, it feels like a weird thing for plant-based news to always be reporting on. Yeah. You know who I think had the most airtime out of anyone, out of anyone in the movie, vegan, and I think it's probably the vegan celebrity, like the vegan activist celebrity of 2017. Do you have any guesses? Is it Russell Simmons? Not, no, he barely got any. He barely got any airtime on that movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> edit that out. Who was it? <laughs> uh, James Aspie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess I was thinking more like an actual celebrity that happens to be vegan. But yeah, James Aspie got a ton of airtime. And, and he was basically in 
every segment like in the health segment he would be saying stuff in the environment segment he'd be saying stuff in the active in the animal part he'd be saying stuff but so i i thought it was interesting but if this is truly a movie that is you know like how did 2017 go for vegans i think that make that makes sense because i think he is someone that is promoted wildly in the in many vegan circles and i will say at the animal rights conference stole a cookie from me one time (laughs) what now granted it was a free cookie that i picked off of a platter of a bunch of other free cookies and then i immediately just went and picked up another cookie but did he take it out of your hand (laughs) he did yes (laughs) (laughs) this needs more explanation paul Uh, he, he was he i was walking around he was at like a booth just talking to people and then I was at a booth like right next to it and there was a platter of free cookies. So I picked up a cookie to eat it and he just, he walked from behind me and just grabbed the cookie out of my hand. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> I mean, it was like a, like, it was not like a weird jerky thing. It was like a joking thing, but still very, very bizarre. I've never talked to him in my life. <laughs> Did you make eye contact? Did you say anything to him? Yeah, I laughed we we both laughed and then i went and grabbed another cookie <laughs> i pictured him just like taking the cookie and then throwing a smoke bomb and just disappearing <laughs> but um, i can't I, believe you I never told me that story paul uh, yeah i don't know how i've never told you that andy <laughs> but yeah your fave is co- problematic everybody yeah. for all you <laughs> cookie, cookie stealer <laughs> starting the meme right now <laughs> but yeah so I, again i think that that he he got i i think i wasn't keeping track but i think he probably got the most appearance out of any single person in the documentary and again i think that that makes sense because he is someone that is very was very prominent in in the vegan movement in 2017 he certainly featured a, a rise to prominence this this year so yeah mm-hmm. so i guess it makes sense i yeah i guess let, let's kind of segue into who is represented in this film i think that something that we pointed out when we talked about the trailer for this is that it seemingly was representing a very mainstream very often white male kind of perspective and I think, unfortunately, that was borne out by the film that we did just watch. I think that the vast majority of the talking heads we've seen were white men, a lot of the older white men doctors that we've talked about, and some of which, of course, we love. But it, it felt like the only significant screen time that was given to any people of color, Milton Mills, Jane Vles Mitchell, and Russell Simmons, RIP, because of his allegations against him, uh, it, it, there, there, and I guess there was another head of an organization that I'm not super fond of, and I don't even care to mention his name. But like otherwise, those were like the only people given prominent screen time that weren't just like a quick blip on the radar. And and a lot of those people are people that still represent a very mainstream type of animal rights movement, which is you know the the consumerism side of things. And it it felt like this is a documentation of a very specific type of activism of very specific way of looking at the progress of this movement and i don't know if it's possible to contain every various you know perspective on this whole thing but it did feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity to promote the work of so many other great vegan activists that aren't necessarily saying people buying beyond burgers is the best thing in the world I will say, I will say, I was excited to see Melanie Joy up there. I I don't think she's someone that is in a lot of these 
types of movies? Yeah, she doesn't get interviewed very often. She's certainly a prominent person within this movement. She's written a number of books. She has a couple, you know, speeches. I think she did a TEDx talk about carnism and that that is like widely distributed. So she's she's definitely someone that has like a prominent presence in the move in the movement. But yeah, you're right. She definitely doesn't get a lot of you know, she's not up there with the Teapox and the, the Gregors yeah. in terms of yeah. how prominently they are featured. And associated with Melanie Joy, also Tobias Lienert, a favorite of the show of our <laughs> listeners, uh, who also doesn't really get a lot of airtime. So He was on there? Yeah, I thought, yeah, he was. I didn't even notice. Andy. <laughs> yeah, I think he maybe had like one, like I think Melanie Joy had uh, two or three parts where it went back to her, and Tobias I think had one, one, one segment where he was talking about some stuff, but... I think that that's nice, though, that there's a, a diversity of it, it, or at least moving away from I don't know if I want to use the word diversity, but moving away from some of the typical people that we see that they also included all those people as well. But but others as well. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. I know you use favorite of the show somewhat genuinely and somewhat facetiously, but yes. certainly someone that's been discussed on the show uh, a few times before and and someone whose work that we've had a lot of fun dissecting over, over yes. the years. And we met, and I think, very nice person. Very nice gentleman, absolutely. I, I, you know, you, you had mentioned when you said Russell Simmons RIP, I was actually, when he came on, and, and it, it was not surprising to me that he would be included in something like this, but at the same time, because I was also surprised at how current they were able to make this documentary. There were some some pieces of news that they talked about in the movie that I feel like are like two weeks old. Yeah, day, days old. I think things that we covered on last week's show were in mm-hmm. this documentary. And and kudos kudos to them for that because th- that's probably you know people spending like twenty four hours straight just editing and and creating this content, but. I was I was so I, because of that I was surprised with the some of the Russell Simmons stuff because I was like ooh he's they come back to him a, a handful of times like he's it's not just a one, like a one time thing for him so I wonder I do wonder if that was a discussion in in some boardroom over at Plant Based News where they were like oh what do we what do we do about this should we keep him in should we edit him out should we limit his presence in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Miley Cyrus certainly has a, a lot of problematic history involved with her as yeah. well. Not, I, I don't want to quantify or say one's like worse than the other necessarily, but she is not someone that is without controversy and has done things that uh, have been pretty, I'll say lately, insensitive to race. I guess, but she, but she, but she is the most vegan vegan. She is so. the most vegan vegan. Yeah, I mean, she's she's done some racist stuff, and I feel like there's probably a few other celebrities in there that was kind of like, eh, so I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily on the radar for plant-based news, if that's no- normally in their sort of main concerns. I mean, I, I guess if, like, Harvey Weinstein was a vegan, they, I, I would hope that they, they wouldn't, like, throw him in there, but I feel like they're not, that's not really the train that they're on. Um, I feel you on that, but I will say with, like, Miley Cyrus and, and a couple of the other ones, that you were referencing, I feel like that's not as much in the current news as some of the, like the Russell Simmons stuff. Yeah. The Russ, that, Russell that, Simmons is fresh as hell right now. So that's why that's mostly why I would, I would think that 
I bet you that they had they had to make some decision where they thought about it and were like, oh, should we edit this movie again for the 12,000th time because something happened, something else happened? Yeah. Because because if you think about it, the, the trailer for the movie came out over a month ago, I, I want to say, maybe at least a month ago. Yeah. So, uh, like, stuff has happened since then. They've probably had to recut this movie a whole bunch of times. Vegan stuff has happened, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess the other thing that I, that I wanted to discuss with you is they they have a brief section where they use a lot of or not a lot of but a little bit of like slavery imagery, Holocaust imagery, image images of of gay rights marches, and they even have just like a picture of Malcolm X, which I don't know. It felt like they didn't really give the proper weight to those things, and it, it felt reflective of a, the way a lot of kind of mainstream veganism will just sort of use those struggles as like a quick, convenient prop as like a shortcut to get to people's sympathies. It felt kind of out of place in this film. And I guess that was playing towards their, hey, we're trying to get non-vegans on board with all this stuff. But to me, it just in in a film that did not pay particular heed to the struggles of vegans of color and things that they certainly could have talked about. But, you know, with the rise of of like websites like Black Vegans Rock and AFCO and and things of that nature coming out this year it felt like they could have paid attention to those things and then the fact that they just sort of use these as oh this is like a convenient prop for for our discussion right now it i don't know it definitely rubbed me the wrong way yeah no i i i got that feeling as well yeah so i don't know so so again this is something that represents a very specific view of veganism and a specific mode of of measuring the progress of the movement over the years. Uh, it certainly like, uh, did you have the impression, Paul, that it was basically like, look at all the vegan products and we've made so much progress because of that. Like it felt like that was kind of the ending note of the film almost was look at the rise in vegan business. And that means things are going well. Um, to some extent, I think, I think in, in that plus veganism is the healthiest thing for you. So you should go vegan. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't know, to me, I, I that was such a major part of the movie that if the health part of it was five minutes or if they had just thrown in a couple lines, like, it, honestly, if they had just cut out, because they, they could have still talked about what the health, and they did talk about what the health and, and the impact that what the health had and the impact that Oakjaw had, and th- they could have talked more about that without just playing what the health like clips from what the health, which is now possibly what they maybe did because now that if, if, if you are right, that they just got a bunch of clips from, from these different sources. So I don't know. I, 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 that, that kind of element of it is very prominent in when, when I'm looking, when I'm thinking back now about what this movie is about, that's like a very prominent element for me. But I do, I do agree with you that, they did spend a lot of time saying, "Look how great these look how great these vegan products are." They, I think, they also spent a good amount of time on athletes as well. Like, I, I think they went through a lot of different athletes. That was another thing that we haven't talked about. I guess that goes along with the celebrities, though. Yeah, celebrities and health. That's kind of like the bridge between those two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I guess I just think that it focused. It felt like at the end, the kind of the main thrust was like look how great everything is for veganism. We've done all this work. I did like the quote. I forget who it was. Someone was talking about none of these things are inevitable. 
but they are all possible. I did like that quote. I like that it was kind of like, this isn't just going to happen without anyone doing it. And it requires all those viewing to go out and do something and, and make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like in that regard, I hope that it will inspire people to be more active for animals and, and speak out for animals more. I did like that. But uh, let me ask you, Paul, as we sort of wrap up this discussion, would you recommend people see this? Like who who would you recommend it to? Would you steer people away from this film? Where do you fall in this? I think it's not something that I'm going to post on any of my social media accounts, but I might talk about it with some people. And if someone else watched it that was vegan, I'd be like, hey, what'd you think of that? What'd you think of that movie? I don't think it's something that I would show to a non-vegan. I I don't think that this is not going to be the thing that turns people vegan. I don't think maybe I'm completely wrong, but I feel like we had, we had some other good movies come out in 2017, which they mentioned, they mentioned Oakja, they mentioned carnage, which is another one that, that I really liked. And I think that in a, in, in a year where we had a lot of good media, this is not going to be the media that I'm going to share to people. Yeah. I I think that, if if I had to pick off the top of my head, probably Carnage was my favorite film that we reviewed this year. Yeah, that, I got to give that another watch. Yeah, I th- I think at least in terms of one that's like very straightforwardly promoting veganism, like mm-hmm. Oakjaw is definitely up there for more for entertainment value than necessarily for its vegan messaging. But but I'll also say this, Andy, Ferdinand comes out in in twenty seventeen. <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> we we will see we will see how that one stacks up we will see now we <laughs> all right so yeah i i think for me this isn't so I, I don't hate it but it's not something that i would recommend to people i think that it represents such a limited scope of what veganism is and can be and the people that are working for veganism and animal liberation in 2017 that i'm not going to post it anywhere other than the beard vegans Facebook page to see what all the beardists think about it. But it's not going to be a thing. I'm like, Oh my God, everyone needs to watch this and see how well we're doing. Cause I think it does narrowly define our progress and it doesn't really represent the movement as a whole. Agreed. All right. Well, have you watched it out there? All you, you beautiful beardos, let us know what you think. You can send us an email and that is just the bearded vegans at gmail.com. Would love to hear your opinion on this or any other matter. Any news story you want to send us our way, we always love to hear from you. Cool. So, Andy, what do you got coming up? Well, I guess I'll say one one final time, Paul. Don't forget to come out to the Compassion Fest Holiday Market in Hamden, Connecticut. That is December 8th and 9th and 10th. We will be there the 8th and 9th, and we're recording our live podcast on the 9th at 5 p.m., free for all to attend. Uh, December 10th, I'll be in Brooklyn, New York at the Vegan Market. Uh, December 17th, Paul, you're going to be doing the Philly Vegan Pop Flea at the Tattooed Mom in Philadelphia. And then also on December 17th, I, Andy, will be at the Vegan Pop-Up Shop in Morristown, New Jersey. That's going to wrap it up for the the Compassion Co. events for the end of the year. Be sure to stop by, say hi to either me or Paul or both of us, and uh, say what's up, Beardo. We'll give you a free Bearded Vegans button and or sticker. 
And uh, if you want to see what else is coming up, I don't have anything in January, but uh, February, March, April, June, July, I got stuff, Arizona, California, Indianapolis, North Carolina, New Jersey, all, all over the place. You can go to CompassionCo.com. I'm excited to stretch my wings and get back out to the West Coast. <laughs> really excited for that. So uh, yeah, CompassionCo.com for all that. And you can use uh, code BEARDO for 15% off your order there uh, until the end of the year. So uh, that's it. Nice. So, uh, Paul, I I recognize that trying to encompass everything that happened in 2017 into one short film under an hour long is quite a monumental task. I thought they did, like, overall a pretty good job of covering covering a lot of the main stories that we did cover. But there's one thing I was expecting it to pop up and I'm like, Oh, Gregor's on the screen. He's going to say it now. Uh, Miley Cyrus. She's, Oh, she's not when it, someone's going to say this. It's the most popular phrase in 2017, but I guess it's just up to us, Paul, to say the following seven words. And his name is John C. It was supposed to be like fry. Wait, wait. Is it oysters? What's an oyster? <laughs> what are frogs? <laughs> Which is we're we're going to be reviewing. We're going to be reviewing this film. It comes out December. Uh, blah, damn it. Well, the highly anticipated anima. Blah. Apparently, light life accounts for forty percent of the U.S. U.S. <laughs> You ace. You ace. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, Gregor's on the screen. He's going to say it now. Oh, uh, John, not John Cena. Fuck. <laughs> Maybe John Cena will say it in Ferdinand. We are the Bearded Vegans signing off. Boom. Boom. <laughs>